Amen. Amen. Thank you. Well, there's no one like our God. Amen. Wonderful to praise him with you. This beautiful, beautiful Palm Sunday that the Lord has given to us. A great privilege is ours to sing to the Lord our God and to rejoice in Jesus Christ who loved us and having loved us, loved us all the way to the end, right? All the way to the cross and was willing to suffer and die for us. Thank God, risen again. And that's what's so wonderful about this special week we set aside to remember what Christ did for us and who he is for us. And so it's wonderful, wonderful to hear you sing to him this morning. Well, friends, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn to the uh, book of Genesis, if you would, Genesis chapter 22, Genesis 22, if you'd like to use the Bible that's provided for you, uh, you just turn to page 16 for the text in that Bible. As you turn there, remind you that the Lord has called us into a wonderful opportunity for mission and for mission outreach in our community. And we believe God's doing that and calling us to that endeavor of a church plant, a new church that will be raised up uh, from this church. People of our church going out to start another church. If you were not here a couple of weeks ago, we shared uh, that vision with you as a congregation, and it's out at our website. We certainly encourage you, if you've not already done so, to go and listen to the presentation that uh, several of us as pastors made those two weeks ago. But as we told you then, we said we would have a church uh, time information sharing, question and answer, and that's going to happen this evening at six o'clock. So we encourage you to come back over to the Hub Student Center, and we're going to be talking about planting for the gospel. And it'll be a time of fellowship, refreshments there, but just to let you know a little bit more about the plan specifics and make sure everybody has an understanding of what we believe God's calling us to do. Thanks to over 400 who've already said they're part of the prayer team and receiving the prayer information week to week. And I hope that all of us, uh, whether we're on that particular team or not, are praying. Uh, we want God to, uh, to guide us in a very special way. And so we're looking forward to in April having confirmation of what God's uh, put as a vision on the hearts of our pastors and staff that we are sharing with you. But be back tonight and find out more about this vision. I think that you'll be very excited about it uh, as, as I am. So tonight at six o'clock. Now here we are in Genesis chapter 22, as you will open your Bible there this morning. Several months ago, I had purchased a number of bags of malts to uh, do some mulching around the various beds we have in front of our house. And of course, I had to open all these bags of mulch. And I found it a very frustrating thing to do. I don't know if you've ever done that. They're just sewn shut like they contain solid gold. <laughs> and you can, you can have all kinds of unchristian thoughts come to your mind while you're trying to get that, that stuff open. But after I had struggled with one or two, I looked at how it was closed up a little more carefully. And I saw that there was one little knot on the end of the top.
top of the bag. And so I was just able to snip right there at that knot and that entire bag just came open as easy as could be because that bag was woven shut by one single thread. One cord woven together held that bag closed. And I thought after I had confessed the other thoughts I'd had, I thought how that reminded me of the word of God. You see, there is a single thread that holds all of the Bible together. There is a cord that runs through the hundreds of pages and the thousands of years that are within the scope of the Bible. And that thread is a scarlet thread. It's the color of blood. It is the scarlet thread of redemption. The theme that runs through this entire book is the theme of redemption. The treasures that are contained in this book are only unlocked when you understand the incredible message of God's redeeming love through his son, Jesus Christ. That is the thread that holds this entire word together. And it is the thread that when it's understood, opens all the treasures. Now this morning, we're here in Genesis chapter 22, and I want you to see that our text is written in red. It is written in red, not the words of Jesus, if you have a red letter New Testament. But the words are all about Jesus. It's the incredible story of a preview to Calvary. Calvary in the Old Testament. Genesis chapter 22. Will you follow along with me, please? After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and his two of his young men went with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. 
And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, behold, here I am, my son. Behold the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on the top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your seed as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. That, my friends, is a preview for Calvary. This is the Calvary of the Old Testament. This is the shadow of the cross so clearly, clearly seen in this experience of Abraham and his son Isaac. On this Palm Sunday, as we think about the Lord Jesus setting his face like flint to enter Jerusalem, to obey his father, to take up his cross, lay down his life as a sacrifice for us. I pray the Lord will help us just to pull out the scarlet thread of redemption this morning as we look at this text and cause us to worship. Now some things I want you to see in this passage that I think help us to understand it in the light of Calvary. 
The first thing we see in this story is an unexplainable demand from God, an unexplainable demand from God. We cannot imagine how staggered Abraham must have been to hear this command from God. This is his God who has never failed him. This is his God, not the God of the Canaanites who practiced child sacrifice. This is his God demanding of him the life of his son. Can't imagine how that must have impacted Abraham. But God's command was so clear and God made the command so specifically direct. As a matter of fact, did you notice how God gave the command? He gave the command almost, it seems, to intentionally make it more difficult for Abraham to do it. He said, Abraham, take your son, the son of the miraculous birth. Abraham, a hundred, Sarah, 90. This is the son of the miraculous birth. Your only son, you'll never have another one. You'll never have another one like him. Take your son, your only son, Isaac. Isaac means laughter. This is the son who is the joy and the rejoicing of your life. Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. That's the first time the word love is used in the Bible. The first time the word love is used is when God says to Abraham, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. Love. The first time God uses the word love in the Bible is to remind us of the love he had for his son. God's demand was unexplainable and yet it was undeniable. And for this dear old pilgrim, for this dear old pilgrim, his God's will was a supreme force of his life. When he knew God's will, it must be done. And so I want you to see his response. He responded to this unexplainable demand from God. He responded with, with an unequivocal obedience and faith. Unequivocal obedience and faith. And look how he prepares to obey the Lord. It's heartbreaking to read about it. I want you to look, if you would, at verse three. It's just heartbreaking. It says, so Abraham rose early in the morning. He saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. He cut the wood for the burnt offering, arose and went to the place which God had told him. Can you imagine Abraham cutting the wood that he knew would be the altar for his son. 
And then he journeys to the place. There is a place, a specific place that God will reveal to him. Can you imagine a, a destination of a journey ever more dreaded? I mean, a father and a son traveling together for three days. Normally, that would be such a joy, such a time of bonding, enjoyment for a father and his son. But this was a heartache. This was nothing but dread. Verse 4 says, On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. After three days and three nights, Abraham lifts up his eyes. The Spirit of God speaks to him. And on a hill in Judea is where he is to go because the mountains of Moriah are the hills on which Jerusalem rests. He's headed for responsibility he can't even imagine fulfilling. How, how can he do it? I mean, our minds stagger. We can't even imagine. How can this man, how can he do this? Well, there's two words. Two words that give you a window into this dear follower of God. A window into his heart on how he could do this. These two words are found in verse five. I want you to look. Verse five, then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Here, here are two words that give me an insight into the thinking of Abraham and how he could do this. The first word is the word worship. Worship. Again, folks, listen. This is another first. This is the first time worship is mentioned in the Bible. The first time the word worship. He's worship. He's going to go worship. What does worship mean? Worship means to express worth. It, it means this, lordship and love. That's what worship is. Worshiping God means recognizing his lordship, but it is out of devoted love. Abraham loves his son, but not above God. Abraham loves his son, but he does not worship his son. God is first in this man's heart. How can he do it? Because he worships God. The altogether worthy one, the Lord of his life, and the one that he loves from the depths of his heart. But now notice there's a second word. It's just a little word. It's the word again. I and the boy will go and worship and we will come again. Abraham told those two young men, my son and I are going to go up there and worship and we are coming back 
again. You know what that word again tells us? Trust. Trust. He is trusting in the God who cannot lie. God Almighty has told him in Isaac, you will have all your descendants. In Isaac, the world would be blessed. In Isaac, he is the son of the promise. And God is asking me to take the life of Isaac. How can he take his life and still be the one who will bring the promise? How can it be? Well, Abraham somehow had worked the answer out in his mind. And we're not told in this passage what the answer was, but we're told 1,800 years later by the writer of Hebrews, this is what Abraham was thinking. Hebrews 11, verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who would receive the promise was in the act of offering up his only son of whom it was said through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead from which figuratively speaking he did receive him back. Isn't that staggering? This man's faith Staggering trust. God has said, in Isaac will come my inheritance. He is the God who cannot lie. If he asks me to take my son's life, then the only answer is he must be intending to raise him again from the dead. What a man of God. And then I want you to notice, what a son. Not just what a father, but what a son. Because you see, Isaac is in this as well. There's the faith of Abraham, but let me tell you, there's the faith of Isaac too. Isaac, he is literally the representative of unconditional submission. Unconditional submission. Now remember something. Isaac is now a youth. The word here doesn't mean little boy. He's not just a little three or four year old boy. He is a youth. He is walking by his father's side. He may be 12, 13, 14 years of age. His father is 112 to 114 perhaps. Then we have, if you think of that scene of a young man and his ancient father together on the top of that mountain, you get this awful, awe-inspiring scene that's described in verse 6. I want you to see verse 6. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took in his hand, the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. Now, can you see that? 
this ancient man and his young son walking up a hillside near Jerusalem. And the father takes the wood and puts it on the back of his son. And the father and the son walk up the hill together. The father with the knife and the fire. And the son carrying on his back up the hill the wood of his own altar. He's carrying his own altar on his back walking up a Judean hillside. Abraham understands, but Isaac doesn't. Verse seven, he doesn't understand yet. Isaac said to his father Abraham, my father, he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went on together. God will provide himself a lamb He doesn't understand. Isaac doesn't understand what his father means. But when they reach the top of the summit, and you can imagine that little young man looking at his father with questioning eyes, and then his father reaches to his belt and takes out the cord. He takes his son's hands and begins to wrap the cord around his son's hands. Isaac knows. He knows. The Bible does not tell us what the conversation was that happened as Abraham was wrapping the cords around his son's hands. But one thing is very clear. This Isaac, young and strong, his father, old, this young man does not resist. This young man could have resisted. But with trust in his father, Perhaps knowing his father's promise, if Abraham is telling him what he believes God is doing, trusting his father, knowing his father's promise, that young man laid himself on the altar. He stretched himself out. Never had there been such expression of loving submission. Never had there been and there never would be until another son would carry his cross on his back up a hill outside of Jerusalem. And in 
submission to his father would lay himself on the cross. There on the top of Mount Moriah, the sacred preview, all of it is so sacred. It, it comes to a moment of an incredible, holy climax. Abraham lays his hand upon Isaac's head. He no doubt turns his head away. He takes from his belt his knife. He raises the knife toward heaven in an act of worship. And just before he is about to take his son's life, he hears a voice that he's heard before. It's the voice that he knows well, a voice coming from beyond the sky. Abraham, don't touch your son. I know that you love me. And Abraham saw in that moment the most beautiful thing he'd ever seen in his life. What did he see? He saw an unmistakable provision that God had made. In that moment, verse 13 tells us, he looked, notice this, he looked, he lifted up his eyes and behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering in the place instead of his son. Abraham at that moment turned and what did he see on top of that hill? A ram crowned with thorns. A ram crowned with thorns. God had provided the lamb. What did Abraham say? God will provide himself a lamb. How little did he know how he spoke such words of incredible truth. God would provide himself a lamb this ram was a substitute for Isaac. Now, can you imagine the joy? Can you imagine? No, we can't imagine. Can you imagine the joy of Abraham? Can you imagine the joy of, of Isaac? Can you imagine the worship? Can you imagine? Is that old man and his young son got on their knees in front of that altar on which the son was to die and the ram had taken his place and that old man and his son got down and they worshiped God. He had provided the lamb. A new experience, a new personal experience with God like none ever, a new understanding of God. Abraham and Isaac now understood God beyond what they'd ever known of him. Verse 14 says they were just given this unimaginable revelation. They were given a revelation of who God is. Verse 14 and the angel of the Lord, it says, and so, so Abraham called the name of that place, 
Verse 14, Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, Jehovah Jireh. He called the name of that place, Jehovah Jireh, as it is written to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. He uses the name Jehovah Jireh. He called the name of the place Jehovah Jireh. But notice, he didn't just name the place, he named his God. Jehovah Jireh. You are Jehovah Jireh, the one who has provided a lamb in the place of my son. You are Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides. According to Jewish history, is on this very hilltop where 900 years later, Abraham, uh, rather Solomon, built the temple on the very rock, the dome of the rock there today. But on that very rocky ledge is where the temple was built. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide from God for Abraham and through Abraham. He brought an an uncontainable influence because Abraham did this. There was an uncontainable influence that was showered down from God. Verse 15, the Lord says it this way, and the angel Lord called to Abraham a second time for heaven and said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven. And as a sand that is on the seashore and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies and in your offspring all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Blessing upon blessing, blessing to Isaac. Think of the influence on Isaac. I ask you a question. Do you ever think for the rest of his days, Isaac ever wondered who was first in his father's heart? This son knew he was so loved by his dad. But he knew this about his dad. My dad loves his God more than he loves me. My dad loves me, but he worships Jehovah. Isaac was blessed by that. Blessing to the generations from Isaac and Abraham. From that hilltop, 
millions and millions and millions and millions of descendants of the Jewish people to this very day. And the nations of the earth blessed. Why? Because from Isaac, the son who was spared, would come in the generations following one, the only begotten son, the Isaac of the father, the joy of God's heart, the one and only son, the miraculous birth son, who would always please his father. And knowing that his father knew best, took up his cross and carried it to his death a sacrifice for me, a sacrifice for you, our substitute, so that we could know Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides on the mountain of the gods, of God, on the mountain of God, it will be said, the Lord has provided. What do we need to know from this passage? Well, friends, I just want you to know these things. Number one, God is Jehovah Jireh and he provides for us in Christ. God provides for us in Christ. All of our needs are met in Christ, right? Romans 8:32 He who did not spare his own son God spared Abraham's son He who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all how shall I not also with him freely give us all things All we need is in Christ All we need is through Christ. Every need that we have now and for eternity is met in Jesus Christ. Jehovah Jireh has provided for us in Christ. Christ himself is our provision. What we need is Christ. God provides for all of our needs in Christ. And if he spared not his own son, won't he take care of all things? How we can trust him. Secondly, God's provision, God provides, but God's provision is experienced in obedient faith. We're not neutral, folks. We are not just bystanders. Faith is to trust And obey. And that's what Abraham did. He trusted God and he obeyed him. And that's why he experienced him. Verse 16, God said, Because you have done this, I will bless you. 
He didn't say to Abraham, because you have earned this. Abraham didn't earn this. He said, because you have done this, because you have trusted my word and you have obeyed my word, I will bless you. He experienced God as Jehovah Jireh. He experienced God as a God who provides. How? Because he trusted him and he completely explicitly obeyed him. And that's how he experienced him. What's the song say? Trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. What is the purpose of experiencing Jehovah Jireh? What's the purpose? What's the purpose of us experiencing Jehovah Jireh when we trust and obey? The purpose is this, number three, God's provision is for our joy and his renown. God's provision is for our joy and his renown. Our joy in him is God's glory. Our joy in rejoicing in him and knowing him, experiencing him, that is God's glory and God glories in our joy when we find our joy in him. As it's been said, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Friends, God wants us to enjoy him. And how do we enjoy him? By knowing him. And how do we know him? By trusting him and obeying him. Then we experience him and the joy of who he is and God's glory is in our joy and the renown of our Lord is made known. God wants the nations to rejoice in him. Let the nations be glad. That's what Calvary is all about. That the lost nations, the peoples of the earth, including you and me, might rejoice in a God who has provided for us. That is God's great glory. God is Jehovah Jireh for his church. God provides for his church. God is Jehovah Jireh for this church. How we have seen the Lord provide again and again and again and again. And he will, if we will trust him and obey him, he will always provide. Many years ago, when we were raising funds to build this sanctuary, there's a man I'd led to Christ who went to men's retreat with me. And I had an idea about a way to give to God who'd given all to us. And it was just in my head. I couldn't get away from it. And so he and I sitting there at camp at the 
dining hall table, I took out a napkin and I sketched out this chest. <laughs> and it had a little ram's horn on, head on it and crowns. And I asked him, could he do it? And he said, yeah, I think we can. And I remember Leroy, he worked and worked on that. And I remember the day he, he brought me over and he, he had cut out a cardboard replica of this chest. I thought maybe I've made a mistake. It wasn't exactly what I had in mind. He said, well, trust me. And so we, we selected some wood and he spent weeks. And a result, that chest that we call the chest of Jehovah Jireh, the ram's horn, the ram's head on the front, the thorns around it, the symbols on the side. He is the Alpha and the Omega. From the beginning into the end, he is the Lord who provides, right? And friends, he's going to provide for us. I'm so excited to see how he's going to provide. I'm so excited for this church plan. I don't know how he's going to do it, but he's going to do it. You watch God work. What God calls into existence, he also supplies. He's going to provide. And that God who spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, he will provide for you. Friend, I wonder, are you looking to Jehovah Jireh are you looking to the one who really did walk by his son's side up that hill of Calvary? For it was the father who walked with the son Jesus and it was the Lord Jesus who laid himself down on the wood and God did not spare his son, but he delivered him up for you. He took your place and all who look to him, all who trust in him are forgiven, made right, born again, not because we deserve it, but because Jesus paid it all. Amen. Lord, I pray now that you will speak to our hearts on this Palm Sunday and lead us to worship you, almighty God, and blessed son, the Lord Jesus, who took up the cross carried it on his shoulder, stretched himself out on the altar of sacrifice, the Lamb of God who takes away our sin. Thank you, Lord. We don't understand. We can't comprehend, but we thank you and praise you now forever. Worthy are you, Lord Jesus, the Lamb who was slain. Bless you. 
And we sing to you, Lord. You were the man of sorrows, but now you're lifted up in glory. We sing to you now, Lord Jesus. Let's stand together, friends. Sing out this hymn so beautiful for us to sing. Sing it with your hearts. He was a man of sorrows. He came to reclaim us. He's exalted in heaven now. Sing it out to him.